welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Krabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident Krabby Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Hi, Laura. Welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Hi, Blake. Thanks for having me. We were talking before we started recording about, like, you have been in my orbit for a long time. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. Like, you've been in my orbit for longer than a lot of Christian creators. Mm -hmm. When did Risen Motherhood come out? Oh, my goodness. We started it as, like, a hobby podcast in 2016. So it's been, like, six years or something. But then it became a full-fledged nonprofit about three years ago. So it still feels baby in some ways. But it's also not because 2016, like that's that you got some years behind you. I probably started listening to your, when did the book come out? That would be like 18, I think. I know I was listening to the podcast before I read the book. Awesome. I love that. I just don't get the opportunity to interview like those people. I haven't interviewed very many of those people. So this is a little surreal. I'm like, that's an honor. (laughs) Yeah. Like I was like consuming your content before I was a content creator, essentially. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I love it. So you're here because you have a book coming out and we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. We're just going to kind of like, we're going to navigate all the things, but I want to open by with you telling just a little bit of your story for the people that don't follow you, which like get your life together, go follow Laura. (laughs) But I'm very familiar with the story that you're telling right now. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I'd love to share. So goodness gracious, it would have been about five years ago. We're we're talking about Eden, right? I'm sorry. (laughs) Yes. We're the mother. We can talk about that too. Yeah. So, so just to share a little bit about our journey with disabilities and diagnosis and everything about five years ago, my daughter was born and she was born with a genetic disease. And it was one of those kind of things where we found out fairly quickly after she was born, we knew some stuff was up. My mama gut was telling me, I think there's something going on here. And so I pushed for quick intervention and um, we found out that she has an incredibly rare genetic disease. So rare that she's actually the only person in the world that they know of that has what she has. What? Yes. Like her diagnosis is like 500 numbers. It's not even, there's no term, there's no direction in it. And so that was a pretty crazy thing to have happen. And at that time, the doctors told us, Hey, we, we don't really know what her future is, but other children who are similar, you know, they just kept using these kids that were similar. We think that most of them did never, never walked or talked. So that was sort of our perspective of what would happen for our daughter. And, you know, as a, as a mom, that was my third baby, but it was just devastating. And I just remember like my whole world crumbling and it, it was really, really, really hard. So fast forward five years and she definitely has global delays and she has disabilities, but God has done an awesome work in her. And she is walking now. She can jump. She can do a somersault. I mean, it's incredible. And then she's just kind of starting to talk. And I think a lot of people are starting to understand her now. There's still quite a ways to go, 
but it's pretty awesome to just see how God moved and he didn't have to do that, but I'm so thankful that he gave us that gift. And so, yeah, in the midst of all that, it was kind of, we did some moves. My husband worked a lot. You and I have talked about our husband's jobs at times in the past and just a lot of deep sorrows for a few years. I feel like my, my thirties were for grieving. Yeah. And yet God has just moved in really incredible ways and he has been faithful through it all. And so here we are today. And out of that deep sorrow, I just am incredibly privileged to say that I was able to write a kid's book for it, but you know, we can talk about that later or whenever, but it's, it's just neat to see that God really does use all things for good for those who love him. Would you say you're still grieving? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's one of those things that, you know, you just, you don't know how much you're supposed to grieve mm-hmm. when they tell you your child probably will never walk immediately. Your child doesn't walk right in your head. You're thinking it's not a maybe it's exactly it has happened. And you are grieving in that way. And yet the biggest lesson that I have learned, well, one of the biggest lessons is just that I have to remember to only grieve what the Lord has asked me to grieve Mm. and that I I don't want to preemptively grieve something that isn't a reality. And I think that happens for us in a lot of areas of our lives where we think, well, I'm not going to get it, or that's not going to happen. And so we're living in deep sorrow when that's not our story right now. And so to really have discernment between those two things is something that takes time and maturity and wisdom and friends telling you, knock it off, you know, let's, let's hold hope. Right. So it's been a journey for sure. There, do you feel like there have been things that you've had to like, let yourself grieve? Yeah. Because you know, like there have been, you were saying friends that speak into your life, like, okay, like you're good. But also I've had to have people speak into my life. Like, Hey, you can be sad about this. Exactly. It's okay. Yeah. I think like one of the one of the hardest parts about disability grief is that, and I know this happens with all griefs, but it pops up when you least expect it to. And like, you might be at their birthday party or you might be first day of kindergarten or, you know, these events that you're supposed to just be so happy and smiling. Like we, we made it here. Like this is a big deal and genuine. There is joy, right? hundred percent. Yeah. But then I'll find myself tearing up and feeling guilt for being sad or, I remember when my daughter first started walking and there was this weird intermingling of, of joy and grief, because it's like, yes, I'm so proud that she walked and we have waited so long for this. And we have prayed so hard for this, but also like, you don't have to celebrate other kids that much. I mean, of course it's a joy when any child walks. It's the whole, it's not supposed to be this way. Exactly. That's what it is. Is it's sometimes it's grieving the reality of the fall. And that everything isn't going to be the way that it was supposed to be. Yeah. And that's like a weird tension to find. Important to let yourself grieve that, you know, and I think we all want to kind of stuff it down or be like this, you know, I can only be happy and I got to put on this happy face. And there are moments where it's probably appropriate to do that, but there are other moments and safe people that you need to be around that you need to let it all out that you need to scream and cry and rail against things and be upset that the fall is a reality. And that's a, a real right response to what you said. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Like we want to be still in Eden and we should be exactly. We're looking forward to that day. But I think, and I think that that's good for us to lean into the fact that it is okay to be sad about things that are wrong. Yes. Amen. I love that. I want to, you want to talk about mom gut a little bit? Okay. Yeah. Because you touched on that, that you had to listen to your, you listened to your mom gut in those early days. Like what, 
what was your mom gut telling you? Oh man. Well, you know, it was my third child. So I had done the mom thing a couple of times before. And I just at the time knew that something was off. I was induced very early because she had slowed down with growth. And so she was okay. only about pounds when she was born, even though I was induced at 37 weeks. And at that point, y'all know nothing chromosomally. Yeah, no, we, we never did any testing that wasn't yeah. back then. I mean, it, it was, but it was like, do this mysterious thing, you right, know? Exactly. So, very. Yeah. yeah. So then when she was born, um, we had about a week heads up that stuff was kind of seemed different, but they told us, Hey, 50% chance she has disabilities, 50% chance she's totally fine. And it's just mm-hmm. kind of a failure of your placenta. And I am not the type that worries ahead typically. And so I was like, she's fine. You know, like I, I, I was not worried. And I also had not faced a lot of deep griefs by that point. I had had a pretty charmed life, I'll be honest. And so I think there was a little bit of naivety that came Mm -hmm. to, because now I hear statistics and I'm like, we're going to be the statistic, you know, like, yeah. you hear these, like, it's a 0.001% chance. And you're like, that's me. You know? you're, well, it already, you're like, it is me. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so yeah. it's easy to apply that to right. everything right. when it has been your reality at one time. Yep, exactly. So, yeah. So we just kind of walked the road, but I had some signs that I just kind of knew yeah. this doesn't feel quite right. And there's a whole thing to go into of like what insurance covers when it comes to disability, what, yeah, it's like a whole complicated mess a whole like financial podcast for another day, but right. Yeah. In this situation, it was one of those things where as moms, I know we just get in spots where we need to advocate for our children. And, um, we need to be able to say like, I know this is a possibility. Therefore I'm going to pursue that (laughs) and just kind of be an advocate for them. And so that was something that I did. And I was like, I'd rather find out that like, I kind of overdid it and everything's okay. than miss something that I feel like you know, my husband was agreeing with, it wasn't just like only me, but I was certainly the driver for it. But also my husband was like, yeah, I think we need to check this out. And, you know, other people around us were like, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm really glad that I trusted that. And just thankful that I was eventually listened to as well. So child that is receiving additional services or getting that needs additional help, like parents have to advocate on behalf of their child, because I think schools are phenomenal nowadays, most schools, not all with helping and integrating children, but at the end of the day, like you're the one, you know, you're a hundred percent. Well, and I think that that's a good thing for parents to be starting to take ownership of is not only in advocating, but in teaching them about Jesus and teaching them about what fruit is going to look like. We can't be punting our kids off to Sunday school. Right. It's, that has to be an aid, not the whole thing. But anyway, <laughs> I love it. A hundred percent. The the advocating and the even the financials, like the what our country prioritizes, is indicative. I will say. So let's talk a little bit about what your life looks like now. So you were a mom before Eden entered your world. So how is mothering different? It's got to be completely. I mean, we diff- we we parent different kids, yeah, differently. Period. Yeah. Oh man. You know, <laughs> it's like so hard to sum up. But I think you know, I've just been so thankful for having a child with disabilities in my life because I know that it is a sandpaper that the Lord has used to make me 
a much more kind and compassionate and tender mother. And probably person. And definitely person. I mean, I hope, but yes. Yeah, absolutely. It is incredible how before having a child with disabilities, I was more judgmental of other parenting methods. I was more judgmental of the child that was throwing a tantrum at Walmart, you know, and thinking there's a way to fix that. And now I know, no, sometimes they're just going to lick the floor and throw a tantrum. And that's just like, you're just going to let them do it. And because there are, there's more going on than meets the eye. Exactly. Whether that's with the parent or with the child. And so I think that that has been an incredible gift for me to just um, grow in patience. I remember growing up in high school, my mom would always just say like, the Lord's going to teach you patience, Laura, the Lord will teach you patience. And that was like my number one thing was that I was TikTok, TikTok, you know, let's go. Yeah. And just now to have a child that requires a significant amount of time, more than my other children who um, just demands a lot of forgiveness and letting go and, you know, just saying it's going to be okay. I think that that has really softened my heart towards other mothers. It softened my heart towards other children. And I mean, I know that the Lord could do that however he wanted, but I'm incredibly grateful that he did it at all, you know, and mm-hmm. like, that's what I want is to be more like him. And so right. if that's what he wants to use then so be it. And I can see his work in me, like as this direct correlation from something I could never have predicted five years ago, you know, all I saw was grief, right? But now I see this direct line to say, Laura, I have used this to sanctify you to be more like my son. And that just is, is everything to me. Yeah. It's looking back and seeing the times where you were in the trenches and being thankful for them is that is a different gift. Like that's a different kind of, I think that that's only a gift. Like, I don't think, I don't know how capable we are of like arriving. (laughs) I think it's more like the Holy Spirit in us, you know, probably early in the days of her diagnosis, you were just surviving. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Not only were you a newborn mom and a mom of two other kids, but this whole world comes crashing around you, you know? And I think that sometimes this is going to sound really cheesy, but sometimes you have to get like a little bit away from the battlefield to be able to see it and see any good in it. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like missing the forest for the trees or whatever that right. is, but I, absolutely. I think that, you know, I was just talking with a friend about grief and her doubts about God and just her difficulties with understanding what he's doing and think, you know, we were talking about like, don't quit on a bad day. Mm. Those are the days where we say we want to be done, but all we can see is the darkness. All we see is just this fuzzy vision of hardship and sorrow and grief and tears. And those are the days where we just cling, you know, you Mm -hmm. just cling. And when you can't, you trust that heaven's grips got you. But I think that that is, it's probably not even necessarily worth always when you're in like the deepest of grief to think, what's God doing in this? That's kind of my point. Like, maybe we should stop doing that to people. Oh, let them, let them get uh, like time and space, heal some wounds. Yeah. It's like the, the stuff that Job's friends did and everyone would say they, they did do one thing, right? They listened at first, right? They ended up talking and they shouldn't have, but they did start out in silence with him. And I think that we don't always create enough space for that because we feel like we, we got to fix it. And, you know, we got to give some biblical truth and we got to make sure that like, they don't lose hope, but a very real reality of being a believer and of just being a human is that we're going to face things that are so heavy and so hard that for a time 
we are going to sit in that and simmer in that. And that's called lament, you know, like, right. There's a whole book of it in the Bible. <laughs> that's right. Is what I always tell We are not good. Westernized Christianity is does. We don't get lamenting, right? We get pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Joy comes in the morning. Yes, it does. Because joy is a person. And it like, sometimes it's all I can do to touch the hem of his robe. Like, you know what I mean? Yep. So I have kids of my own and they have really big mouths. (laughs) Huge. For example, we're walking into the mall yesterday and this isn't the best motherhood thing I've ever said. And I acknowledge that we're walking, (laughs) I'm walking in with my five-year-old and she's stomping in the plants. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know why this is what came out, but I said, stop acting like a crackhead. Okay. Again, not, not my best. He yells, what's a crackhead? Oh. Like really loud in the front of the mall. They do that kind of stuff constantly. And I, to a degree, love it because they're honest and they're pure. But there have absolutely been times where we have been in a Walmart and there's been a child in a wheelchair. And my five-year-old has my uh, volume control, which is none. <laughs> and she will say, like, what's wrong with her? Yep, totally. Can you maybe speak to both sides of that? Like, speak to the side. I'm, I feel like a lot of the moms and parents of those kids that I know know how to navigate it. Like, they understand that it comes with the territory. But how do, like, how do, I don't know. How do we handle that? <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. I mean, this is. It is not just your max volume child. I promise Mm -hmm. every child in all of history has probably uttered aloud their innocent, curious questions. And it really is like, well, it depends. It depends a bit on who you're talking to, but in general, most parents, if they are a parent to a child with disabilities will have grace enough for that. And they understand that these things happen. But as parents, I think there's a few things that we can do is one, like in the moment when that happens. So, you know, what is that wheelchair or what's that thing they're sitting in or however your child phrases it. We can always as parents just answer that question as directly and honestly as possible. And just saying Mm -hmm. that's a wheelchair and that helps them move around where they want to go. It's, it frees them to move where they want to go. And so just be honest, answer as directly and succinctly as you can. And then what I like to help and parent help parents with is to encourage them to then find something positive or something the same. Yeah. So this is where say something like their wheelchairs blue. You guys, you love the color blue. They must love the blue color blue. Isn't that so cool? So it can be even as simple as like, Hey, they're smiling. That means we know they're happy. We're happy too. You know, if you, you can't see something visible or maybe there's braces with footballs on them, or there are lots of different things, but help your child because what, what they just did there when they said, Hey, I see that wheelchair. What is that? They noticed a difference, right? Right. That is something different. I want to know what's going on, which is great. That's, that's a good thing. You know, there's been so much good work in the church, even to just notice and celebrate differences, which we should keep doing. But when it comes to disabilities, as you pointed out, like our kids, that's mainly what they notice. Right. And so what we can do as parents is redirect that and show sameness so that there's an element of almost like safety and security in that where a kid feels like, oh, I have, I have a box for that. I have a container for that. And I can expand that now. Yeah. Well, I love that. And I know that that's in 
like me, the idea of sameness, which when I, we have it, by the way, we have good, like good. me and we love it. And my, my oldest is obsessed with it. Oh, I love uh, it. She has a little girl that's, I think in a class younger than her that uses crutches. Yep. yep. And so we've had conversations about that. And, but the idea of sameness, I think it's more natural. Like I know your first like red alert is to notice differences, but think about the way that you connect with people. Like you, we as humans connect with people via sameness. Exactly. So our differences are what make us beautiful and diverse, but we're also really the same, especially when we're under the covering of Christ. That's the most perfect sameness. But the little girl example is she wears her hair in braided pigtails pretty often, which my oldest loves. Yeah. So they, they've like struck up a conversation about oh, it. And talked, you know, so like when we read that in your book, the first time we read it, my oldest was kind of like, we do that. Like, oh, I like that. Do that. And it was, I don't mean that as like tooting our own horn. There's plenty we do wrong, but it was just cool to see like somebody put a word to like sameness. Yeah. I never thought of that as a word. I know. Well, and it is such an incredible concept because like you're saying what we have in common, like we all have we all have seen this because we're made in the image of God. And so ultimately all people believers or not, we can say, Hey, there is, there is a transcendent connection that I have with you because you were made in the image of God. That means you can be the most opposite people on the planet on your resume and, you know, in looks and hobbies and interests. But at the end of the day, like there is a sameness there that is given by God. There's a stamp of God on you. There's a stamp of God on them. And because of that stamp of God, there's not one person on this planet that is beneath you. Amen. Or is that not, it's not worthy of your time or your attention. And that is a convicting thought because yeah. You yeah. Know, if we take that all the way, you, you start saying, oh, that's, that can be really tough. But ultimately, if we really believe in the, the dignity and value of all humans, then that means that there's, that every person on the planet is truly worthy of our time and attention. But then on top of that, with the, with the sameness, like if you just take moving out, out of like the theological aspect of it and moving yeah. the reality of people who form friendships, right? We form friendships because we may live in the same neighborhood. We may have kids at the same school. We like the same sports. We, you know, love the same food. Like when you meet someone at a party, let's say, and you're trying to figure out if you guys can be friends, typically what happens is you're like, wait, you love that too. And Me I too. do. Yes. Yeah. And so then immediately, you know, this friendship is born. And so that's kind of the idea here is that, okay, we want to build not just spaces of tolerance for people with disabilities. We want to build spaces of friendship. And I think that's really where our culture needs to move next is beyond just this. Okay. I'll tolerate you. I'll include you because that's the right thing to do. That's what kindness is in 2022, but we want them to move beyond just I'll tolerate you in my circle to like, Hey, we have a true friendship because we can see that there is sameness there. And there are just countless options when you start going into it of like, Oh, oh we yeah. Both bonfires. We both like bingo. We put, you know, you can really help yeah. tons and tons of sameness. And that's where you start to build a deep friendship among two people. Uh, well, and let's talk about the church specifically has done a great job. And you just kind of touched on this of of focusing on diversity. And I don't mean right. I know that a lot of people stick race right, right. in front of racial diversity. Of right. I mean, all types of diversity. And I think that that is a strength. My hope is that if we are swinging on a pendulum 
from intolerance, which that sounds bad, not even intolerance, but if we're swinging on a pendulum towards diversity, that maybe we could like incorporate some sameness because the scripture is super clear about there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. Like you're so the same when I look at you. They're like, your diversities are an extra. Yeah. Which is going to be offensive for some people, but you know. Yeah. And I think I I know what you're saying in the sense that that we need diversity. It shouldn't, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't want to not see it. We want to honor it. We want to respect it. We want to recognize that like, you know, we need diversity in the church for people to do different roles and to do, to be in different spaces and all that stuff. But we won't go very far, I think, in our relationships and our trust with one another, unless we build that on a foundation of saying, I am wholly loved by God. You are wholly loved by God. And that means that we can love one another. And and that's like that foundation of sameness. And then exactly building blocks on top of it. And you, you start to realize that you actually have a lot in common with everybody. Like you can start everybody. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy when you do that. And I, I think one thing I tell my children a lot is Hey, you are coming from a place of being loved. You are operating out of a place of being wholly loved and known as much as your mom and dad can know you. And that is such a gift to give our kids to let them know that they are operating out of this place that no matter what happens, they're still loved, not just by their parents, but by God, then that allows them to freely love with other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that as parents, that's something that we can give our kids to say, you know, you have this knownness by the God of heaven, by your parents, and now you can go and extend that to others. And whether they reject that or receive that, that's not on you. Yes. But we want you to go out and go forward with confidence, knowing that you're going to come back and you're going to always still, you know, retain that love and that acceptance. Well, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes. If the first one is physiological, which agreed. It's very difficult to feel secure if you don't have air and water and shelter. But the next one is essentially security. Yep. Yep. It's do you feel safe? And like, I, the only reason I really know that is because I'm talking about it in therapy a lot right now. <laughs> I was, I mean, deep there. I like it though. <laughs> right. But that's that, that we have the ultimate security. That's right. We have the ultimate security. Your choice is to live out of it or not. And that impacts the way you do everything from mother to interact with one another, to love people. Is it the hope is that it's coming out of that security? Exactly. So that's a, that's a therapy caveat. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I know we were talking about sameness and kind of, and my kids experiences. Another thing is disabilities in media. Yeah. And how we're starting, I think we're starting to see like a little bit more I mean even with the existence of books like yours and books like yours being like picked up and published but uh we watched Finding Nemo yeah which is a great one with the fin and my oldest just got into Secret Garden do you remember Secret Garden he just recently read it too oh my gosh I forgot how much I loved that story how does that look for y'all like does it feel I don't know if the word's good but like I don't know just seeing that representation Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely one of those things where disability representation has been around for a long time, but it's been about, as you kind of noted, the last 10 years where it's transitioned from pretty much someone with a disability was always painted negatively. They were the, yes. I think about Hook, he was an amputee. 
we don't really think about him as an amputee, but it's like, yeah, what he was, you know, you think of Quasimodo in the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And he was known as the ugliest man in all of, mm-hmm. can't quite remember where he lived, but in yeah. the land where he lived. And he, he was a hunchback and he was disfigured and made fun of, I mean, known as yeah. the ugliest man. And now I think throughout the, the past 10 years, representation has become a lot more positive, which is incredible. But I don't think that means we have to like avoid negative representation or positive, you know, only go with positive. Right. The great part about these things is that we can actually, no matter what it is that we're watching, whether it's Nemo or it's uh, How to Train Your Dragon, you know, the, they're both things in that, that movie, we can say to our kids, you know, maybe later after the movie's over, say, Hey, do you remember that wheelchair in Secret Garden? Or do you remember that amputee and, and the hook on Hook's hand? Do you think that he was treated in a God honoring way? You know, we can just just bring those conversations into the forefront with our kids, because I think sometimes even seeing some of those negative representations can be helpful with our able-bodied children for them to say, oh yeah, no, I would never want to be treated like that. Like that right. would be terrible if someone treated me that way. And, and just because of what we would perceive as a tragic inability. And our kids, it's like, well, we all have inabilities. Like I can't pay, play the piano worth a hoot, you know, like right, I exactly. have issues in my wrist that make a gripping difficult and I'm not able to do things. And so if we were all judged on our abilities, is that really what we would want? You take that all the way. And so I think that we can use many representations in media to help our kids understand if we are treating another human being with dignity, with dignity or not. And I think that that, that's just like a springboard for conversations that we should all be having in our homes. Absolutely. Well, and you can contrast even in a film like The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which I've always hated. This is the darkest, saddest, (laughs) might be one of the worst. Is it a Disney? It's a Disney, isn't it? I think it's Disney and it is just, yeah, don't recommend. It's terrible. 10 out of 10, do not recommend. (laughs) But even in that movie, the very few times I've seen it, you can contrast the way Esmeralda treats him and the way that the really terrifying pastor dude. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, like the even fire. there, you, right, whatever he is. I feel like I've only seen him in my nightmares probably, right. but, <laughs> but just the, like Esmeralda treats him with worth and dignity and loves him. And the other person treats him like he's disposable. Right. You see how both of those made you feel, you know, like, It's just leaning in to like these opportunities that are given to us. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about how motherhood has changed and your life has changed. Having a child with disability. How is being in ministry changed? Wow. Because of disability? Yeah. Like, you know, if we're, I hate to like use it as a a marker in time, pre-disability, post-disability, but your life is different. Yeah. In those, it's different seasons. It's different realities. You were doing risen motherhood before Eden was born. What's like, I wonder what the impact of that has been. What's interesting about using the term ministry even is that pre my daughter being born, my husband and I were actually in the process of adopting two children from Bulgaria. We were, we had done the home study. We had done all the things we were waiting for those children um, to just get the call. Right. And to, to go over it. Yeah. The Lord obviously rerouted our lives in a pretty significant way. And we ended up putting that on pause and we said, look, we just want to pray about it. We want to wait. Obviously we are the family that we have now, we need to steward well now. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we 
we hunkered down into that. We ended up moving. There was a lot of big changes and it ended up that we really felt like the Lord was saying, Hey, your job right now is to care for the family that you have and the door for adoption will open up. It's not like that's closed or anything, but it is something where the Lord really rerouted what I thought my ministry would be Yeah, and really moved it towards, I mean, it's, it's broader, just like everyone isn't kind of a one-dimensional person, but disabilities has become a real heartbeat for me. And it has yeah. a big facet of my ministry. And I think it's so interesting because for many of us, especially in our twenties and thirties, we're kind of looking for like, what's our thing going to be, you know, I'm right. like, what's my, what's my niche, right? Yeah, yeah. Like what's my, what's my ministry? Like we want to kind of know. And at times we can even strong arm it, or we can say like, I'm going to conjure up something or you know, we find ourselves kind of going a little ways down one path and then pivoting to another direction. And this is the most unexpected thing that I could have ever imagined. And it wasn't something that I asked the Lord. If I had a list of ministries to pick, I wouldn't have picked this one, Blake, you know, like my thing. And because I'm a mother, right? Like I just, right. And so it's been interesting to just see how the Lord works and says, this is where I want you, Laura. I want you to, you know, to talk about this. And I'm going to do that for as long as he allows and continues to lead me in that. But it really has changed what I talk about. Cause I could, I could never have predicted a long time ago, what that would have yeah. been even very long ago. But what's crazy is how it kind of did. Like, I realized on audio, this, you're not gonna be able to see this, but like it meshed, you were already talking about motherhood. Yeah. Like it enmeshed itself in what like God continued to use your obedience and use your faithfulness just in a different way and in a different season. And and like, I'm going to be honest in my opinion, not that it's a competition or a comparison, but this amplifies your message and amplifies your ministry because you're speaking to, I hate to, I'm not like anybody can talk about motherhood. That's not my attitude genuinely, because we all bring something different to the table but your decision to be obedient and be faithful in what God's put in your life speaks to something that not a lot of people can talk about. Yeah. Only God can do that. Like only God can take what you're doing, have something painful or hard intersect with it and be like, watch, I'm going to make this even better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make like, I'm going to make your message even better because yeah. I read that the, I, I actively inter- engage with your content. I see everything that you post and it's, you're such a gifted writer. And then you are on top of that talking about something that I think most parents are like, if it's not in their life, they right. want to store that well. Right. So you're helping both. You're getting to hold every both sides' hands and be like, here, guys, like <laughs> hold, hold hands, you know? Oh, uh, well, first of all, thank you. I want to come on your show every single day and come <laughs> get a, like a little pep talk from you. That's incredible. But yeah, I do think there has been a unique niche carved out a little bit. And, you know, I want to like be super honest, like I don't have disabilities. And I always recognize that, that like I'm a work in progress, but that's always been kind of what I've wanted to do is say, Hey, I don't really know, but can we figure this out together? Exactly. That's been our, our heartbeat and joy at Risen Motherhood is to walk next to mothers and say, exactly. We get it, but let's go. And same with disabilities is that, you know, I remember so easily five years ago before I had a child with disabilities. And I was like, what is that world? Like, how should I talk? Like, that's kind of scary to talk about. I want to get the words right, but I don't want to make anyone mad. And yeah, very stressful. And yeah, so it is a hope to just bring down some of those walls and those barriers. But the only other thing I'd say on ministry is that I had a really wise woman towards the beginning of my ministry. She said, you focus on depth, let God give the breath. Amen. I mean, because it's so easy to get caught up 
in breadth of things and to say, this is a measure of not just how it's doing, but my value and worth. And yeah, as I have just said, I want to hunker down and just focus on what the Lord has. And to say, if you take it all away, God, like it's okay. You know, it is, it yeah. never was mine anyway. And to just keep focusing on getting as deep as I can in the word and to be authentic and sharing what, what he's teaching me, even when it's kind of like, Hey guys, I think this is what I'm learning. Right. <laughs> no, sometimes it's just showing up. And I think that that's, I'm going to be honest. I think that's why people are drawn to both of our ministries. is I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I'm like, I got this. Right. Same. <laughs> got this line up and I will tell you a three part formula. I'm like, I'm figuring it out at the same time as you. Maybe if we're lucky, I'm a couple steps ahead of you and I have walked through what you're walking through. But that doesn't mean I won't walk through it again. Like, I don't know, you know, exactly. So I think that when people ask about like how this podcast started, y'all were really some of the only voices doing that. Yeah, I was like just showing up and saying, so if y'all started in 16 and I started in 18 Mm -hmm. and even by 18, there wasn't, there wasn't much of that. It was a small landscape out there. It was. And I, I'm so encouraged by seeing it grow and seeing more I mean obviously women specifically stepping up to the plate and saying I don't know all of it I don't get all of it but you want to like hold hands yeah do it together yeah exactly (laughs) I'm such an advocate for collaboration I mean it is oh yeah my thing of we are better together all ships rise and I think that that has just been a really incredible piece to this is that you know none of us does any of this stuff in in a silo right don't get here totally, completely by ourselves. There's always there are people who help me and, you know, I'm like, okay, I hope I can pay that forward. Right. Yeah. Ministry is just, just keep focusing on depth. I, I love putting it that succinctly. Yeah. Like you focus on depth, let him work. Like, cause I've gotten caught in that rat race yeah. a couple of times where you like step into it and it's like, oh no, oh, that's terrible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna stay over here and create content. And like, I don't, Totally. Cause it feels good for a moment. And then the next time you step into it and it wasn't so good, you're like, Oh yeah, this isn't, this isn't who I want to be. This isn't what I want to no. about. And so it is that self-glorification thing, man, it goes both ways. It will bring you down. <laughs> Amen. Laura, thank you so much for such a great conversation. I love these when it's just, I'm like, Oh my gosh, what time is it? I know. So, <laughs> uh, tell people where I, they, they can get like me by the time this comes out, your book is out and get that where they get, wherever they get their books. Tell people where they can connect with you online. Yeah, I'm at laurawiffler.com. So pretty easy there, but Wiffler is W-I-F as in Frank, L-E-R. And then uh, at Laura Wiffler for Instagram, that's the main place that I hang out. Yeah, perfect. Thank you, girl. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.